0: Hey there everyone, this is Greg shoots for ReadyForTheDraft.com and this is the Ready for the Draft podcast, episode 13 of the series dedicated to the draft eligible prospect for the 2020 NFL Draft, set to begin in April in Las Vegas, Nevada, college football season week 11, now in the books, and I think week 11 really highlighted by the fantastic SEC matchup between LSU ranked number two in the college football playoff rankings taking down alabama number 3 ranked team in the country 46 41 i said it in last week's podcast you know we knew that that joe burrow and tua tungavaivola would be exceptional and they were if you look at the numbers joe burrow 31 to 39 393 yards three touchdowns tua you know he, he did struggle 19 incompletions in the most that he's ever had, but of course he also was really battling that that ankle injury. I believe it was 20 days removed from from the surgery, and uh, you know 21 of 40, 418 yards, four touchdowns and interception. You know, really uh, hobbled with that that ankle injury, really limping after the game. But uh, it really came down to those running backs. You know, we knew what Najee Harris could do, uh, running the football with the power between the tackles. I talk about the lack of burst. I actually saw it a little bit more of a burst in this game. Uh, you know, surprisingly. Um, so I, I thought he really helped himself. 19 carries, 146 yards and a touchdown, along with uh, three receptions for 44 yards and a touchdown. I'll tell you what, the athleticism on a back shoulder throw for a touchdown was exceptional, and uh, you know, Najee Harris. Really surprised me with some of the athleticism, his ability to catch that football out of the backfield, a little bit more uh, speed than than I was expecting to see from him. And, and I think when you look at the bigger back at Alabama, you start to worry. All right, is this going to be another Bo Scarborough type? Um, you know, I, I think Najee Harris is going to have to come out and, and really show that he can that he can run the football between the you know not only between the tackles but out on the perimeter by Really running a, a nice time. If he can break uh, four or five, I think that's really going to bode well for him. For a guy, especially for a guy 6'2", 230 pounds. Uh, but the man of the hour was really Clyde edwards Alaire. And I said, and I, I you know, said in my podcast last week that we may be talking about this kid. And he was awesome. You know, twenty carries, one hundred three yards, uh, but also nine receptions for seventy seven yards and a, and a touchdown. You know, this is a kid who, you know, he, he's so. Compact, so uh, you know, he, he's stout, uh, but he, he's he's a little guy because he's five eight, uh, you know, over two hundred pounds. Low center of gravity, bounces off contact. You see him with the leg drive, but you know it's the lateral quickness, the jump cuts, able to get. Be uh make guys miss in the backfield, and then the burst, the acceleration. Uh, they were drawing comparisons uh, on the broadcast to Darren Sproles, and I think that's actually you know very accurate. You know, nine receptions, very fluid as a as a receiver. Clyde edwards Lair is a junior, and you know if he decides he wants to come out, he needs to start being talked about in in those conversations. He may only be a a, a third round pick right now. But uh, if I'm an NFL team, I'm looking at this kid, and you know I might consider him in the top 60 picks. But uh, LSU and Alabama—that wasn't the only game. You had Minnesota, undefeated, but not getting any respect in the college football playoff rankings. The initial rankings come out. You've got an undefeated Minnesota Golden Gopher team, ranked number 17 in the country, taking on Penn State, number four-ranked Nittany Lions, going down. To the Golden Gophers there at uh, TCF Bank Stadium, uh, final score there thirty one twenty six, and you know Minnesota really had control of that game the entire game. You know Tyler Johnson, I've for as much as I've talked about Tyler Johnson and, and the inconsistency this year, not always having exceptional hands, he absolutely looked tremendous in this game. Um, you know, a big play wide receiver down the football field had a one-handed catch. Just reached out for the ball uh, with one arm and, and made that reception. Seven catches, 104 yards and a touchdown. Rashad Bateman showing some speed, getting vertical as well. Uh, seven receptions, 203 yards. That's 29 yard average uh, per reception with the longest 66 yards. Scored a touchdown there and then. Antoine Winfield. All the hype right now is it, everyone's talking about. Grant Delpit and Xavier McKinney there at the safety position, and rightly, rightfully so. Now, Antoine Winfield would be a true junior this year had it not been for a season-ending injury a, a year ago. He's a redshirt sophomore, uh, and he was phenomenal in this game. Eleven tackles uh, to go along with two interceptions on the game, and he just seems to be everywhere. He does a little bit of everything. He plays the center, you know, center field exceptionally where Shows that range over the top. Uh, Reads the quarterback's eyes, plays in the box. Very good open field tackler. He'll blitz the quarterback. He, He can cover, and we saw that, you know, covering guys in the slot. Antoine Winfield should be a guy, if he decides to come out, I think he'd be a high draft pick. I think we have to consider him in the top 40 picks. We look at a guy like Darnell Savage, a guy who was able to do a little bit of everything, and he actually snuck his way into the first round there with the Packers, and he's had a really nice rookie season to this point. I'm looking at, at Antoine Winfield, and I don't really understand why anybody else is talking about this guy. You know, He's, he's tied for the FBS lead in interceptions now with, with Douglas Coleman there at Texas Tech with seven. And he, he's all over the field and they really had to identify where Winfield was going to be at all times. I think if, if Winfield, Winfield may come back for another year. I mean, you know, you look at Tanner Morgan, he'll be back. The quarterback played exceptionally well. Rashad Bateman's only a sophomore. He'll be back on the offensive side. Uh, And you've got some pieces there on defense as well. So, you know, P.J. Flex not going anywhere. His Golden Gophers aren't going anywhere. You know, that offensive line, you know, with Sam Schluter and, and Daniel Fa'alele, the big 6'9", 400-pound right tackle, they're not going anywhere. They're staying there for one more year. Uh, I think Fa'alele is actually a sophomore, so he'll be back for two years. But he could decide to come back for one more season, but it wouldn't surprise me if he does come out. And if he does, I think we really need to be talking about him as a top 40 pick. He's somebody who I think can come to the next level and start making plays right away. So, obviously, more than just those two games uh, last week that I got to watch, and we'll get into that later, but really what I want to do is take a look at some of the positional uh, rankings and and really some of the guys at each of the positions. We've taken a look at the entire offensive side of the football. We've talked quarterbacks and, and how Joe Burrow is closing the gap. May actually now... Uh, with Cincinnati looking like the likely uh, number one overall pick, Joe Burrow from uh, Ohio, there's a good chance Joe Burrow might be the uh, odds-on favorite to be the number one overall selection. You got Tua tango right there. We know what Tua's all about, but those ankle injuries have to be concerning. You know, your quarterback, if you can't get him out on the football field and you can't keep him there, then, you know, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And then, obviously, Justin Herbert. The big-bodied, strong-arm quarterback. A lot of people look at him as the number one quarterback in this year's draft class. Reminds me a lot of Josh Allen. Um, you know, a little bit more accuracy uh, than, than Allen did coming out of Wyoming, but knows know what to do with the football. Very intelligent, high football IQ. Uh, he's going to be a guy that's going to be another top fifteen pick. So you have three top fifteen picks there at quarterback. Uh, you know Jake Fromm is another guy um, that I, I think people are trying to overlook because of the lack of athleticism. But I'll tell you what what he does with the pre-snap reads and what he does, uh, you know between the ears, that's something that I think you can't uh, you can't really replicate that. You know, this is something that this kid, uh, those intangibles are, very valuable at the next level. So he's someone I think to keep an eye on. Someone may end up getting a steal with Jake Fromm. now the running backs. We talked about the top five, Jonathan Taylor of Wisconsin, who looks like he may be the the Doak Walker award winner. uh, Once again, this year won it last year was a runner up the year before Um, tremendous, tremendous athlete there at uh, the running back position. He's going to not only run by you, but he'll run over you as well. Excellent vision, um, you know, patient runner as well allows his offensive lineman to uh, set up the or really set those blocks before he, you know, really explodes from there. And then you know you have Travis Etienne, the guy, who the, the speed merchant, who's going to take the top off of a defense any chance he gets. Over two hundred yards on just nine carries against Wofford. Um, you have J.K. Dobbins there at at Ohio State. Uh, a guy who I think is really rising up draft boards. You watch him play, and he he's an exceptional receiver. He runs with a little bit of power between the tackles and uh, speed out on the outside. The first Ohio State running back since Archie Griffin with three uh, straight 1,000-yard seasons. And to me, I think J.K. Dobbins is someone who we're going to be seeing coming off the board in the first two rounds. De- uh, DeAndre Swift may be the most complete back uh, of the group. He's someone who I think... Uh, not only can he run with with power, run with speed on the outside, but he's an exceptional receiver, very fluid, uh, very natural pass catcher. Runs really good routes, but he can also pass block, and that's something that I think is going to be key for him. Plus, there's not a whole lot of wear on those legs. We see what uh, a fresh running back like Josh Jacobs is able to do there in the NFL, so I think that's something that uh, you know bodes well for. DeAndre Swift. And then of course there's Chuba Hubbard. All he's doing is leading the FBS in rushing over over thirteen, fourteen hundred yards at this point, and a guy who should be in conversation. For not only the Duke Walker Award, but he should be getting some Heisman votes as well. Uh, just a, a you know track speed, sprinter speed, and all he needs is a crease, and he's getting downhill and, and taken off. Reminds me a lot of what uh, Daryl Henderson did last year with with Memphis. Just give him a crease, let him get north and south, and he you know and he'll be explosive and has a uh, a chance to go the distance on every single play. So I look at those five guys, but I mentioned what Najee Harris is doing. And I mentioned what Clyde edwards helaire is doing. Um, so that's the beauty of, of this NFL draft process right now is a lot of it is fluid. There are guys that are are moving up draft boards, moving down draft boards week after week. So you really have to kind of be patient and allow all of this to kind of matriculate. And, and we can really kind of get that final, Final game in before we really start talking about players. And then obviously you have the comp you know the well really before that you have the all-star games, then there's the combine, then there's all the pre-draft workouts, you're talking about free agency, a lot of different things going on before we actually get to the draft. Wide receivers, man, there's a one tremendous class of of wideouts. You know, you've got Jerry Judy at the top with the speed and the route running. You've got C.D. Lamb, who you know reminds you of Nuke Hopkins or or a, a Julio Jones, a you know a skinnier version of of Julio Jones. Henry Ruggs, who's this year's Marquise Hollywood Brown. Um, you know, I, I think those are your top guys, along with T. Higgins, who has a tremendous catch radius there for Clemson. Uh, Lavisca Chenault is a guy if he can stay healthy. He'll be a playmaker at the next level. Um, then after that, there's, there's Tyler Johnson of Minnesota. What he did against Penn State really kind of solidified himself. He's he's back. He's someone that we really need to take notice of. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr. there at USC. You know what he's able to do in that offense, even though teams are game planning for him. They're making Tyler Vaughn's and Amon Ross, Saint Brown and Drake London and all those other receivers there for the Trojans beat them. They are not allowing Michael Pittman. You know, when you have a defense that is completely scheming to try to take you away, you're a dude. You know, you're know, you a playmaker. You're a guy that, that that team has to scheme for. So that's something that I think he's not getting out of the second round. He shouldn't, at least. Uh, and then the tight ends. We talked about Bryson Hopkins uh, and uh, Albert Owe Boonham and Jared Pinkney um, as some of the top tight ends in, in this year's draft. Offensive line. You know, you know Tristan Wirfs and uh, Andrew Thomas are going to be battling it out for the top tackle spot. Alex Leatherwood, a surprise, uh, it, you know, in some regards, because really not sure what we were going to expect because he was playing the guard position for for Bama a season ago. Uh, you know, Jedrick Wills, uh, the right tackle there for Bama, uh, very physical at the point of attack. I think this is actually a decent class for tackles. You got a guy like uh, you know Calvin Throckmorton there for Oregon who's played four positions, uh, really plays the right tackle well, uh, shows off a little bit of athleticism on the left side. He's someone who you know could very well fall to round number three, but you'll be getting a nice tackle there if you get him. Uh, I think Trey Adams has a chance to be a first-round pick there for Washington. Uh, really, the medicals have to check out for him. That back in the knee, it's really going to be critical there, but... You know, he didn't look himself when he came back from the back injury a season ago he looks in, in rare form now you know I, I think he looks like a, a polished offensive lineman and somebody who I think uh, again if the medicals check out he's someone who's going to rise up draft boards very quickly interior of that line the guards you know Trey Smith uh you know Natani muti if, if Fresno State if uh, you know the medicals you know for him I, I don't know that he's going to come uh, come out in, in the draft now but uh you know Ben Bredison Shane Lemieux, uh, Tommy Kramer, a lot of veteran offensive linemen. Kramer battling an injury, out for the year for for the Fighting Irish, uh, and then at, at the center position, there are a lot of centers. You know, there are a lot of junior centers too. Um, you know, underclassmen in general, um, because you have Tyler Biotis, the the junior who's play, you know started every game there at the center position for Wisconsin. Uh, just a veteran presence. Uh, you've got Creed Humphrey. Once he Entered the you know cracked the offensive line a season ago as a redshirt freshman you know that really solidified that group and really a big reason why they they were uh, received the Joe Moore Award for the top offensive line uh, but it doesn't stop you know stop there you've got you know uh, Lloyd Cushenberry at LSU is really coming on and playing well uh, Jake Hansen, who's really a, an intelligent player there at Oregon uh, Daryl Williams for for Mississippi State's an intelligent center. Uh, so there are quite a few guys that are out there that are going to be on the board. I'm um, probably going to be taken off off the board early, um, you know, at, at the center position. We only have five centers taken a season ago. Um, there are at least five, six, seven, you know, Nick Harris from, from Washington is another guy um, only six, one, but very intelligent. Um, always seems to be not only on his block, but he sustains his blocks to the whistle plays with excellent leverage. So, Those were all the offensive players that we were talking about uh, in the last few podcasts. So we're finally going to go ahead and flip things over, take a look at the defensive side of the ball. We're going to talk really get back into the trenches and talk defensive tackles, get the interior of that defensive line. Now, the, the defensive tackle position is kind of interesting. You know, I think they've averaged about 20 offensive tackles over the last five years. And really, if you go back to 2015 and, and kind of look at, at the position, kind of gives you an idea of, of kind of some of that history there at, at uh, the position in the draft. So 2015, there were 22 uh, defensive tackles taken. And if you remember 2015, uh, Danny Shelton went uh, – Number 12 overall to the Browns, Eric Armstead uh, and, and Malcolm Brown followed there in round number one to the 49ers and Patriots, respectively. Only Eric Armstead is still on the same team that drafted him. Um, you know, really kind of when you look at that group, Eric Armstead starting to come on a little bit for the 49ers, but really kind of a disappointing group uh, overall. Uh, some of the other names. In that draft from day number two, uh, Mario Edwards, Eddie Goldman, Jordan Phillips still there with, uh, I believe he's still with the Dolphins. I know he's still in the league. Uh, Carl Carl Davis uh, there with the Ravens, Xavier Cooper. And then if you go to day three, uh, you know, the, the biggest find was Grady Jarrett sitting there in round number five. First pick of round number five, the Falcons get a steal. And really a gem. So that's one of the things that's beautiful about the draft. And uh, when you're looking at the defensive tackle position, you know you never know when you're going to find guys. You know Christian Covington is still in the league. He was a late sixth round pick. Um, let's see who else. Tyler Davison uh, playing for the the Saints out of Fresno State. He was a mid fifth round pick. Uh, so there are some guys that are still hanging around from the 2015 uh, draft class. 2016. We moved to 2016, there were 23 defensive tackles taken. Uh, you know, and really looking at the top of the board, that was the year Sheldon Rankins uh, came out number 12 overall. He's been battling injuries his entire career. Kenny Clark going to the Packers, uh, Robert Combschi, uh, Vernon Butler rounding out the first round, but uh, round number two. Uh, that's when you saw Chris Jones go to the Chiefs. This guy's just been wreaking havoc everywhere. The two Bama boys there at defensive tackle uh, taken just four picks apart, one of 15, and that was Sean Robinson and then Jaron Reed taking at number 18. We're going to actually look at their stats uh, just a little bit here uh, as we talk about some of these defensive tackles because these were two guys that were really looked at as more of run defenders than pass defenders. Uh, than than pass rushers, interior pass rushers. And that's why they fell down the draft a little bit, you know, as opposed to some of the other names that that we called upon. But you look at a guy like Jaron Reed; he's actually t- developed into a decent pass rusher. Uh, you know, Adam Gotsis, uh, a good depth player there. Uh, Malik Collins playing for the Cowboys. Uh, they, they were taken in round number three, as was uh, Javon Hargrave coming out of uh, South Carolina State, going to the Steelers. Um, you know, so. Y- y- Andrew Billings still playing there for the Bengals. Uh, he was taken in round number four. Uh, Matt Ioannidis uh, ended up being a steal coming out of, uh, out of Temple in, in round number five. Um, let's see, 2017 had another 21 uh, defensive tackles taken. That was a year that we didn't see a defensive tackle taken in round number one. I'll tell you right now, we're not going to see that this year. Um, but Malik McDowell taken uh, you know, in uh, – Round number two, the third pick in round number two, out of Michigan State, uh, no longer in the league. We'll be talking about him when we talk about Raquan Williams there for the, Spar- uh, the Spartans. Uh, Larry Ogunjobi, uh first pick of round number three. He's really been a nice surprise for the Browns. there playing out of Charlotte. Um, as we go through the rest of that draft, you know, names that that really pop out. Um, you know, it was kind of a kind of a thin year in terms of. Guys that really produced. Uh, so you move to 2018, and 2018, you'll guess it. You know you've got over 20, but this was actually 24 defensive tackles. Uh, Vita Vea, uh, Darren Payne, Taven Bryan uh, in round number one. You know guys that um, kind of a mixed bag of results. There, um, you know, P.J. Hall for the Raiders taken in round number two. B.J. Hill round number three. Derek Nottie starting to come on for the Chiefs. He was taken in the third round. Uh, Let's see, Deidre Sanat for the Falcons in round number three. And Martin Maurice Hurst had the issue with the heart. He fell all the way to round number five. He's playing well there for the Raiders. Um, so it, it was, you know, a draft, again, mixed bag, and it's one of those positions that's kind of difficult to – Uh, Really, to to predict. Um, You know, we look at last year's draft, just 17 defensive tackles taken. Ed Oliver, where have you gone? You know, he went to the Buffalo, uh, really an athletic specimen. And I was expecting him to potentially even go as high as number four to the Raiders, um, but he's kind of disappeared. And I, I don't know why. But you know a pair of Clemson Tigers uh, taken uh, at number thirteen and number seventeen with uh, Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence respectively uh, playing for the Dolphins and Giants. Those two guys absolutely are are hits for for those two teams. And really, it's still too early uh, to to really give things up on on uh, on Ed Oliver. But um, you know, really wondering when he's going to step up his game. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons. You know, went down with that ACL injury, but it's really paying off. The gamble paid off for Tennessee, uh, 19th overall pick, and he's been wreaking havoc ever since he came back from the knee injury. Jerry Tillery taken in round number one by the Chargers. He just hasn't been dominant at all, and uh, you're just waiting for him. You know, The big question there was did he love the game? He was kind of the renaissance man. Don't really know what's going to happen there. You know, Tristan Hill went to Dallas in round number two. He's been battling some knee injuries. Draymond Jones for Denver. Um, you know, he's been a nice little pickup there. Uh so really, you know, some guys that we're still waiting to see if they're going to develop into the, the defensive tackles that those teams need. So obviously, when we hit the 2020 draft, we're going to be keeping an eye out for defensive tackle prospects. But I'll tell you what, beyond the top two. Defensive tackles. There are a lot of question marks that I have. A lot of guys. If you you hear me talk about uh, Rashawn Gary from a season ago, a lot of it was well, you know, is it production or or potential? What are we really looking for? Because Rashawn Gary, the the, the production wasn't there. It was all hype. We were talking about him more so. Um, about the physical specimen, what did he do with the Combine? Uh, tremendous athlete, still went number 12 overall to the Packers. So when you look at that and you're talking about some of these uh, defensive tackles, you know there are some guys like Marvin Wilson who we're going to be talking about here in, in just a minute. Raquan Davis is another guy. We could see them pop into round number one because of their athleticism, because of that potential that's really going to outweigh some of that production. But if we're talking defensive tackles for the 2020 draft, let, let's make no mistake about it. Let's, you know, let's not overthink it. Derrick Brown is the top defensive tackle, and he should be a top 10 pick. Now, we know that, you know, looking at, at last year's draft, uh, you know, Ed Oliver went number 9 overall to Buffalo, and then Christian Wilkins number 13 to Miami. I'm looking at Derek Brown, and I, you know, I, I don't know that, you um, he, he's going to crack the top 10 just based on some of the skill position players that we're going to have here in the draft. Uh, a guy like Isaiah Simmons is also going to be right up there. A couple of pass rushers we know, obviously, with Chase Young, possibly A.J. Epinesa. But, you know, Derek Brown shouldn't go any lower than the number 13 where Christian Wilkins went. Um, you know, the thing with Derek Brown is he... He's so disruptive. You know, he's 6'5", 318 pounds, so powerful with his hands. I think that's one of the things that you see. He's, he's low out of his stance. He's so quick off the ball. And then those hands, he follows that up and just jacks a guy back. And that's really one of the big things. He gets a guy off balance, and then he uses a quick you know, arm over, you know uses his hands really well you know to, to do a, a quick slap and rip as well. gets into the backfield. Not only is he penetrating the line of scrimmage in a hurry against the run, he's also collapsing the interior of that line uh, against the pass as well. So I mean if you look at look at some of these numbers through nine games uh, this year, you know 36 tackles, um, you know seven, seven for loss, four sacks, uh, three pass breakups, a couple of f- fumble recoveries, two forced fumbles as well. Um, you know, and honestly, you know the we you know the year prior, forty eight tackles, uh, you know, maybe even more impressive, you know, twelve and a half tackles for loss, four and a half sacks, couple of pass breakups, fumble recovery and a forced fumble there as well. And really one of the things that really showcased what he could do was watching Deshaun Davis, that linebacker, Inside linebacker for Auburn uh, a season ago, he was making plays all over the field, and I think a big part of that was that defensive line. And you can talk about, all right, well, there are a lot of guys on that defensive line who are are studs and NFL prospects. And yes, Marlon Davidson is going to likely go to the to the NFL, uh, you know, here, uh, you know, this next season. Uh, Nick Coe, another guy that that we're going to be expecting to see there, but you know, it really. It was Derek Brown, you know, the teams had to game plan for him and had to know where he was on the field at, at all times. And and really a beneficiary of that was uh, Deshaun Davis, who had 112 tackles on the season, 15 going for loss. So you're talking about holes that are being created there at the line of scrimmage, you know, allowing him to shoot the A-gap and really disrupt the play behind the line of scrimmage. And I'll tell you what, what's really crazy is, uh, you know, Derek Brown has had tremendous games against Texas a and So as a junior, here's what's crazy. As a junior, had had a total of four four tackles, two and a half tackles for loss, and a sack as a junior. And then this past season, you know, here in, in 2019, Four tackles, three going for loss, two sacks, two pass breakups, and a forced fumble. Twenty-four games with at least a half a tackle for loss, and 13 games with at least a half a sack. You know, I mean, the production is absolutely there. Um, you know, 28 and a half tackles for loss in his career, 12, 12 sacks, seven pass breakups, five forced fumbles, four fumble recoveries, and uh, you know, of the 152 tackles, 78 of them were solo absolute game wrecker there in the middle. And I'm looking at Derrick Brown. He's got to be a top 10 pick. And he's clearly the number one interior lineman in this year's draft. So you're talking Derrick Brown. If he's going to be number one, who's number two? I think that was one of the big questions that we had for a little while. And then Javon Kinlaw out of uh, South Carolina really emerged. The 6'6", 310-pound junior um, really took the world by storm as a sophomore. 30 tackles, nine going for loss. Uh, four sacks, five pass breakups, two forced fumbles so far this year through ten games. You know, it was ten games uh, last season as well, but through ten games this year, already up to twenty-seven tackles, five and a half for loss, five and a half sacks. So he's actually improved on his sack total. Two pass breakups and two forced fumble. I'm sorry, two fumble recoveries. So th- this is a guy who knows what to do. You know, when he's around the football, gets a hand up to knock passes down, able to rip the ball free whenever possible. But he He's so athletic for, for being such a big guy. He's got tremendous length. uses that length to his advantage. Really kind of an, another guy who can jack a guy back a little bit with, with his hands and, and the power, but you're going to see a, a really nice swim move out of him and, and a guy who is... You know, he, he'll use some power, not to the extent that Derek Brown does, though. Um, but you'll see a little bit of power out of Javon Kinlaw, but you're going to see the quickness off the ball. He's beating his guys off the ball and shooting into the backfield in a hurry. So to me, I, I look at Javon Kinlaw, the way that he's just been able to wreck games this year uh, along the interior of that offensive or that defensive line for South Carolina. Um, to me, Javon Kinlaw is going to be the guy that uh, we're talking about as a, a, a probably mid to late first round pick. So after that, here's some guys you know that are kind of the the question marks, tremendous athletes and a ton of potential, but uh, you know is the production there? Is there enough production? So the first guy we're going to talk about is Raquan Davis out of Alabama, six seven, three hundred twelve pounds, really was on a tear and and kind of had his his sights set on. The NFL draft after, as a junior because sophomore season, 69 tackles, 10 tackles for loss, eight and a half sacks, an interception, you know that uh, he had um, in the in the championship, uh, fumble recovery, um, you know just a guy who was making plays all over the field. And let's see, you know, have had sacks in five straight games. Um, you know, had a sack against Clemson and also in the, um, in the national championship game. And, uh, you know, he really looked like he was destined to be the guy for Alabama. As a junior, had, uh, you know, 55 tackles, five and a half tackles for loss, just a, a sack and a half. Um, and really you know, just disappeared in a lot of games. You're really wondering what the heck happened. You know, where did he go? Um, and that was really one of the, one of the question marks was where, where was he? And, uh, you know, he, he, that was probably the, the most difficult, um, you know, was, was watching his, his performance because, you know, he, that's a big reason why he came back for a senior season. You know, um, let's see, uh, seventh game, he, he got his first, uh, half a sack versus, uh, uh, Missouri. And then, to, had to wait until the the playoffs to get his first full sack against Oklahoma. Um so only a sack and a half and then so far this year through 9 games, 36 tackles, two tackles for loss and only a half a sack. The production just not not really there, but you know, one of the things that I will say is he's actually, even though the stats don't reflect it, he is having a much better year. You are seeing him use the length to his advantage. You are seeing him beat his man off the football with with some quickness. Um, able to uh, uses those long arms to his advantage to kind of long arm uh, the the offensive lineman, getting his hand into the into the shoulder pad and kind of driving him back into the quarterback, disengaging and and getting off off the block. Uh, to, to make a play on the football. So he you do see some of that, but again, he's not getting home and that's really a big question mark is, is he is he going to be a guy who's going to be around the play or is he going to be a guy who's going to make the play? And that's really the big question mark that I have right now for Rayquan Davis. Um, mentioned Marvin Wilson before uh, from Florida State, 65, 311 pounds out of uh, Florida State. and uh, you know as a, as a sophomore, 41 tackles, four tackles for loss, three and a half sacks, a pass breakup, and a forced fumble. You know, a guy that people were really looking to this year to really make a huge jump and, and make some plays. And so far through nine games, 44 tackles, so he's already surpassed the tackle mark, eight and a half tackles for loss, five sacks, four pass breakups, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. So he's well on his way to putting some nice numbers together. And you look at those numbers and you go, wow. This guy's having a great year. He's getting after the quarterback. He's making plays behind the line of scrimmage. But those those stats can be a little, you know, can be a little deceiving. Because here's ultimately what, what you're dealing with. You know, even last you know, the last year, um, you know, had six six tackles, two and a half tackles for loss, and two sacks against Miami. You know, had seven seven tackles against Boston College and and Florida. But uh, you know, so some of his production kind of scattered between three games, but this this year as a junior, like I said, you know the, the eight and a half tackles for loss, five sacks, they look really impressive. But really, the majority of those uh, were racked up in two games against Louisville and Syracuse. So against Louisville, you know that was the the ten tackle performance where he had three and a half tackles for loss, two sacks, and a fumble recovery. Uh, everyone after that game was talking about him as a as a clear cut first round pick kind of disappears for much of the season and then against Syracuse uh, before he ends up injuring himself and, and is now out for the year, um, you know against Syracuse, he also uh, was just a, a beast. Uh, six tackles, three tackles for loss, two sacks. So remember, we said that he had five sacks so far on the year, two, four of those in just two games. And we also said eight and a half tackles for loss. Six and a half of those in just two games. So, when you're talking about, uh, about performance, you know, in the remaining seven games that he played 28 tackles, two tackles for loss, a sack, four pass breakups, and a, for, and a fum, uh, forced fumble. So, two games. Where he ha- where he received all that production, so the potential is absolutely there. You see the quickness. You know he's double teamed and he's able to spin off of the double team and and still get into the backfield. You see the athleticism It's absolutely there, um, but you just question whether or not he's a guy who's going to get home on a consistent basis, or is he someone who's just going to disappear? And now he's out. You know uh, recovery. Recovering from, from hand surgery, he's going to be out the rest of the season. Um, you know, Florida State really starting to come on as well, so that's you know, disappointing to have him go down for the remainder of the season. Um, I think with the athleticism you know, of, of Davis and Wilson, you have to potentially consider them as, uh, as first-rounders. Um, you know, another guy who I'm starting to hear a lot of people talking about him as a potential first round pick. Um, and I still want to see some more consistency again is Neville Gallimore, uh, the Canadian they're playing for Oklahoma 6'2, 301 pounds senior and, uh, having by far his, his best year, you know, a season ago, he had uh, 50 tackles, you know, the most in his career, five tackles for loss and three sacks, two forced fumbles this year, only 20 tackles but five and a half already go for loss, three sacks, two forced fumbles in just nine games as opposed to 13 from a season ago. Um, 16 tackles for loss, seven and a half sacks in his career, five forced fumbles as well. Uh, The burst, I think that's one of the things that you absolutely see when you watch Gallimore. He plays with excellent leverage coming off the ball. He's not going to get too high of pad level, and that's one of the things I think Javon Kinlaw struggles with, Raekwon Davis struggles with, Raekwon Williams, who we'll talk about in a moment, struggles with, and that's that, that high pad level. If you get too high, that really is, you're kind of a sitting duck and, and really just inviting that offensive, uh, offensive lineman to latch onto you, stand you up, and you're not going to be going anywhere. It really takes away any, uh, any leverage that you have, and, and he's somebody who plays with excellent leverage. He does fire well off the ball, staying low and, and really getting under the pad level. Uh, you see the swim move Um, You know, a guy who uses his hands very well, and I love the motor. He's a guy who's not only going to get back into the backfield. If a quarterback or a running back gets gets outside the pocket and and takes off and runs, or a running back gets to the outside, to the perimeter, you're going to see Neville Gallimore uh, running down the field chasing after this guy. You'll see number 90 for, uh, in the Crimson and Cream chasing down the quarterbacks. And that's one of the things that I think you have to absolutely appreciate is he's somebody who's never going to give up on a play. He's someone who's going to always work towards the quarterback. And uh, you know he's someone... The stats may not reflect it, but he's one of those guys who's always seems to be in the backfield and, and is disruptive. And, and you know, that's to say you know, I talked about Raekwon Davis, Marvin Wilson. They're not getting home, but they are being disruptive. So I think when you're talking about this trio, the disruptiveness that you know you see that play in and play out, and that's something that uh, you can definitely work with. Which takes us to Raekwon Williams, Michigan State, six four, three hundred three pounds senior. Um, you know, we we talked about Malik McDowell and I think you have to watch the comparisons. You know, Malik McDowell, 6'6", 299 ultimately was the 35th overall pick uh of Seattle. And uh let, let's see. When you look at his his numbers overall, uh let's see. 88 tackles, 24 and a half tackles for loss, seven and a half sacks. So definitely somebody that everyone was looking at as a guy who could potentially um, be a a three-down interior lineman, a guy who could get after the pass and uh, also be a run stopper. Um, And and things just didn't work out at the at the NFL level, you know, unfortunately. Um, But you look at Raquan Williams. You know, again, six four three zero three at nose tackle. Somebody who's very stout at the point of attack. And uh, you look at the consistency with him. You know, ever since he was a freshman, uh, you know, and, and not really a starter, but had five tackles for loss and two sacks, pass breakup as as a freshman with twenty eight tackles. Uh, you know, sophomore year, thirty one tackles, six tackles for loss, two and a half sacks. Uh, you know five pass breakups as a junior to go with 50 tackles, 10 and a half tackles for loss, two sacks this year through nine games, 31 tackles, five and a half tackles for loss, three and a half sacks. So that all, all adds up to uh 27 tackles for loss, 10 sacks, 7 pass breakups, 3 forced fumbles. So you know he, he's a, the nose tackle, a guy in the middle, and uh somebody who, you know, if he can keep that pad level though low, he can be a disruptor. He's somebody who can take on multiple, uh, multiple blockers, and somebody who has has strength at the point you know, at the point, but uh, has some quickness and a burst off the ball to to get penetration quickly into the backfield to disrupt run plays and really blow up uh, what the running back wanted to do. Um, but he can also get after the quarterback. He can he can collapse the pocket from within, and that's something that you're really looking for. Uh, you know, that's really one of the big things for for Raquan Williams that I think everybody's going to be keeping an eye on uh, as as the season progresses. Uh, you know, Michigan State. You know, they play against Michigan. What can he do to really disrupt Shea Patterson? You know, these next couple of games down the stretch are really going to be key for him. Um, you know, which takes us now to Lecky Fotu out of Utah the 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 big defensive tackle there 6'5 335 pounds out of utah um you know lucky photo i got to see him when he was healthy uh, against usc and was just wreaking havoc and you know he's someone who is just so big so physical there in the middle of the line and a guy who just seemed to be living in in the backfield, you know, someone who just plays with with tremendous power, absorbs multiple blockers, you know, really allowing Francis Bernard to make plays uh, behind him. But again, you know, someone who has some qu- surprising quickness for his size, you know, has some phone booth type quickness um, and uh, the the strength, you know, just driving his man into the backfield, collapsing the pocket from within. But when you're talking about him. You also have to keep in mind, you know, the number of games, you know, games played. As a sophomore, ten games; junior, ten games. So far, you know, in a senior season, just five games played. So, you know, he's somebody who's who can't always stay on the football field, and that's something that's concerning because when he is out there, sixteen tackles for loss, three and a half sacks, three pass breakups. Someone who plays with tremendous power, and and, and again, when you look at Lecky Fotu. Um, I, I think a lot of the comparisons are going to be to star to Lele. You know, Star-Lotu-Lelay, uh, 21 and a half tackles for loss. And uh, seven sacks, four pass breakups, three forced fumbles in his career there at Utah. You know, a little bit more productive, rushing the passer, uh, made a little bit more plays in the backfield. But, you know, that's in quite a few more games for, for star to Lele than, than Leakey Foto. Even though Star came out after his junior season, you know, I, I think... You know, he still ended up playing in, let's see, to this point, yeah, he actually played in more games than Lucky Fotu did. Um, So you look at the stats, I think the stats might be a little deceiving. The biggest thing for him is going to be the medicals. This is going to check out. Teams want to make sure that you're going to be out on the field. And if, if the medicals check out and you're going to be healthy, then, you know, that's really, you know, kind of changes things a little bit. So I mentioned talking about, you know, some run stuffers versus guys that get after the passer, and uh, you know interior pass rushers. Obviously, people, are, you know, teams are looking for the next Aaron Donald, and, and we just don't have that. Uh, you know, Aaron Donald is kind of a once in a, a generation type of player, and, and we're just not going to see a guy you know like that collapsing uh, the pocket from within the way that he does. Um, so strong, so athletic, uh, excellent feet. You know, he's just he's the total package. And the Rams were lucky to, to pick him up there, having him fall all the way to number 13 in the 2014 draft. Uh, you know, I think of Geno Atkins. Geno Atkins was another guy who um, it was really, you know, he was kind of that first three technique um, that was just so explosive coming off the football and just wreaking havoc in the, in the backfield. And that's something that I think absolutely jumped off. And, you know, Geno Atkins was a fourth-round pick. It was because he wasn't tall enough. And and you know he was that's why Aaron Donald fell in number number thirteen. He wasn't six five six six. You know you're talking about a guy who's much shorter than that. Um, you know and, and Geno Atkins, man, he was taken in the fourth round, the, the number twenty overall in the in the 2010 draft. And you think about the the havoc that he's wreaked for for the Cincinnati Bengals along the interior of that defensive line. Um, you know we talked about Starlo Tulale and and you know the numbers that he put up. Uh, there at at Utah, you know, he's someone who, you know, just 11 and a half sacks, 29 tackles for loss, uh, and 101 games there in the league. But he's somebody who's always been stout at the point of attack. Um, You know, we talk about, you know, I I mentioned Jaron Reed and Ashawn Robinson being more um, run stuffers. You know, you look at Ashawn Robinson, you know, 22 tackles for loss, nine sacks, five pass breakups. You You look at him and you're thinking, well, you know, those numbers seem comparable to a lot of the guys that we've mentioned, and, and you know that's that's true, you know. But the point is, is A. Robinson was taken in in round number uh, round number two, and uh, most of these guys, when we're talking about them, you know, they're not wreaking the havoc, um, you know, both against the pass and the run. Um, that's going to warrant a first round pick. I think we have a lot of guys in this conversation that are going to be second and third round picks, which is okay. You know, Ashawn Robinson, when you look at it through 54 games, just four sacks, but 15 tackles for loss, 156 tackles, um, you know, and, and a ton of a pass breakup. He's got 16 pass breakups as well to his name. Now, Jaron Reed was somebody who really wasn't seen as a pat as a, uh, a pass rusher and two years with, with Bama, um, he, he finished with 11 tackles for loss, just two sacks, seven pass breakups. But man, in, through just 50 games, has 15 sacks, including, I believe it was eight a year ago, uh, 17 tackles for loss, five pass breakups to his, his credit, 141 tackles. So you look at that and you say, well, he was a run guy. Where did where this pass, you know, the pass rushing ability come from? You got to find some of these athletes. You got to look at, you know, find some of these guys who are able to dominate the point of attack. Who are your athletes? Who are the guys who um are going to be stout at the point of attack? Not everybody's going to be a a pass rusher and and a guy who can really collapse the pocket, which is fine. You know, those are guys that may be taken, you know, late day 2, early day 3 and and those are guys that are still going to make an NFL roster. You know, when I talk about and look at that comparison, Uh, Look no further than Ole Miss. They've got two defensive tackles who are absolutely going to be drafted in April. Now, I'm I'm talking about Benito Jones, 6'1", 329-pound senior, and Josiah Coatney, also a senior, 6'4", 325 pounds. Now, Josiah Coatney, big nose tackle. And you look at him. And uh a guy who's been absolutely productive, back-to-back, 60 tackle seasons as a sophomore and junior for the rebels, um, you know, total of 161 tackles in his career to this point, 15 tackles for loss, six and a half sacks. Um, but he's really looked at as a guy who holds the point, you know, holds that point of attack, a guy who just absorbs blockers, but does a really good job, you know, g- keeping an arm free. You know, as as the running back hits a hole, uh, somebody who just really does a good job um, getting off blocks and, and making plays around the line of scrimmage. Um, and then there's Benito, you know, Benito Jones. Now Benito Jones, uh, just 128 tackles in his four seasons there. Um, but this is someone you know, 30 tackles for loss, you know, including you know 18 in these in the last two seasons, including you know nine uh, through nine uh, nine through nine games so far this season. Um but you look at the the sacks, nine and a half sacks, including seven and a half in, in uh the last two seasons combined. Um Jones is more of your pass rusher. Cotney's more of the guy who's gonna be the run stuffer, but you look at the numbers and uh you know Coatney showing that he can he can rush the quarterback a little bit. But uh, somebody who just 15 tackles for loss compared to Benito Jones with the 30, Cotney's going to sit there and absorb multiple blockers, really be stout at that point of attack, which is going to allow guys like Benito Jones to get free and, and get home. And, and so both of those guys are going to have a home, and I, I think at the next level, and I think Benito Jones probably going to end up being a, a third, maybe fourth-round pick, and, and Cotney's probably going to fall to the fifth. And that's Okay. You know, I, I think they're both going to be productive at the next level. Um, you know, looking at this, you know, another guy who can be considered a potential pass rusher at the defensive tackle position is Justin Matabuke uh, at, at a Texas A&M. He's only a junior, six three, three hundred and four pounds, um, and really kind of caught the eye of everyone as a sophomore. Uh, Forty tackles, uh, ten and a half tackles for loss, though so five and a half sacks, three forced fumbles. Uh, someone who is really making a lot of plays behind the line of scrimmage so far through nine games this year uh, on pace, you know, from a tackle perspective 33 tackles, eight and a half tackles for loss, three and a half sacks. Uh, so he's somebody who um, nine, ta- nine nine sacks in his career, 21 and a half tackles for loss. Somebody you can get after the quarterback, a guy who can also make plays behind the line of scrimmage. You see the burst, and he's somebody who, when I watch Texas AM play, Um, You know, I'm expecting Matabuke to make a lot of plays. You know, he's really the guy that's hyped up as the guy that's going to uh, enter the draft after the season. And I see some inconsistency out of him. I don't always see he disappears at times. And I want to see him really living in the opposing backfields more often. Uh, than he is. And really, we're talking about he's on pace for back-to-back double-digit uh, tackle for lost seasons at the defensive tackle position. So it's kind of crazy to say, well, I wanted to make more plays. But, you know, he's so explosive that you're kind of almost almost disappointed when he does not um, Let's see. I'm going to give you a name now that people aren't really talking about, but I'm telling you, uh, he, he's a player. I watched him play against TCU uh, this past week, and, and he and, and the defensive end, James Lynch, who we'll be talking about next week when we talk about uh, ends and, and, uh, and edge rushers. Uh, Bravion Roy, the, the nose tackle for Baylor, 6'1, 333 pounds. This senior, I'll tell you what, the athleticism. You know, I, I saw him against TCU as a really he and Lynch and, and Lockhart, the other defensive end, James Lockhart, they were all stand up rushers. And coming off the ball, he shot the gap, shot the a gap, and ultimately got in on a sack with uh, with Lynch or no, I guess it was Lockhart. But uh, the the burst, uh, the arm over, uh, the the hands. He he's someone to really keep an eye out for. You know, he already has surpassed his tackle count from any of the other seasons. He's got thirty seven tackles, seven and a half tackles for loss, two and a half sacks this year. Um, you know, so. He's somebody who is continuing to develop, but he's somebody who I think his best football days are ahead of him. So when you're talking about nose tackles and you're talking about guys in the middle of a line, uh, two guys that, that really came to mind for me were uh, Darren Payne out of Alabama and Dontari Poe um, out, out of Memphis that went to the, the Chiefs. Both first-round picks. Um, you know, Don, uh, Dontari Poe went number 11 overall, freakish athlete, uh at 6'5", 346 pounds but if you just talk stats and stats alone uh 101 tackles 21 tackles for loss five sacks uh, let's see four fumble forced fumbles four pass breakups as well um, you look at brave roy uh, you know we talked about 109 tackles uh 13 and a half tackles for loss four and a half sacks so um you know not quite as many you know tackles for loss but Um, All the other numbers look pretty comparable. And then Darren Payne was number 13 overall pick in 2018. 102 tackles, uh, five tackles for loss, just three sacks, five pass breakups. But he was somebody who was really, you know, showed the athleticism and a guy who was holding the point there for Bama, allowing a lot of other guys to make plays. Um, When you look at their stats... Um, and compare him with, with Bravion Roy, that nose tackle, you know, it, it, is, it is somewhat comparable. So it's one of those things to where it isn't inconceivable for a guy like Bravion Roy, a guy that nobody's talking about at Baylor, to, to step in and make an impact at the next level. Know, another defensive tackle who may end up being a 3-4 defensive end. I could see him really as that 5 technique, um, but a guy who can get after the quarterback, he's, he's actually playing N for NC State right now, and that's uh, uh, Larell Murchison. 6'3", 291 pounds. Uh, you know, as a junior, had uh, 8 tackles for loss and 4 sacks. So far this year, 38 tackles, 10 tackles for loss, 7 sacks, a couple of pass breakups as well. Um, he's somebody who just always seems to get home. You know, he's not necessarily the most explosive guy, but somebody who knows how to use his hands really well, has a decent burst. Uh, the secondary moves, you absolutely see him um, continuing to work to the quarterback. And uh, I look at him, I think he's someone who can set the edge against the run, and he's somebody who can uh, offer uh, a little bit of the pass rush as well. He's only, um, only, let's see, no, he is a senior, so you know he is going to be entering the draft. But when you look at this draft class, you know, I, I probably put him in with the ends when it's all said and done. But uh, you know, he's someone I, I think you could also sneak inside as well, especially if you're going to go with a with a an even man front on passing situations. Move him inside. Um, you know that that'd be interesting because I think he he could definitely rush the passer from the inside. Uh, another guy who can be disruptive is Jordan Elliott, 6'4", 315-pound junior, started his career at Texas, uh, transferred to Missouri, sat out the 2017 season, 2018, uh, had a three-sack performance in, in a game and really kind of caught everyone's eye. So far this year, uh, just one sack, but seven tackles for loss, 32 sacks. Uh, I'm sorry, 32 tackles. Um, 32 sacks would be amazing. Um, but somebody who you know, he has tremendous length, has a burst, um, you know, he's someone who I think though is still developing, you know, and, and there's talk that he may enter the draft after the season. I'd really like to see him develop, um, you know, one more year there under Barry Odom, you know, Mizzou's a school that just continues to produce, uh, defensive linemen. Um, and, and I would just like to see him stay one more year. Let's get a little bit more polished to his game. And, uh, I think he could end up being a, a guy that, uh, could be talked about as a potential first rounder. Um, Robert Windsor out of Penn State, 6'4, 285 pounds. Um, you know, this is another athletic, athletic, uh, defensive tackle. Um, 106 tackles in his career, 17 and a half of them going for loss, 12 sacks. Uh, three forced uh I'm sorry, three fumble recoveries, two forced fumbles. Uh Windsor is a guy, he's a little undersized, at six four, two at Could end up being a five technique, but somebody who just seems to continue to wreak havoc. Um, you know, he'd be a three technique if you were in a four-three scheme. And uh I I love the burst. I love the motor. Always seems to be working, always seems to be trying to get to the quarterback. Um, you know and and somebody who can also make plays uh, behind the line of scrimmage Hello Figaro that's my uh, my my silver lab barking in the background. I think she wants to come in and say hello. Um, but let's see if we take a look at uh, Robert Windsor against Minnesota um, you know he was someone who I think everyone was looking at to, to make some plays there for them you know, ended up you know with four ta- uh, four tackles on the on the the game. Uh, wasn't able to get home behind the line of scrimmage, but uh, just somebody who uh, continued to have that burst and somebody who I think that they, the Gophers really had to key in on on the, the interior of that line. You have uh, Shaka Tony and, and Yitra Grossmato's coming off the edge, but you had to really focus on uh, Windsor there on the interior of that line, and, and so I, I think he got a lot of attention there. Um, let's see, a couple of other names to mention um one out of the Big 12 and one out of the Pac 12. Big 12 we're talking Ray Lima, 6'3", 302 out of Iowa State. Pretty athletic. Um you know 10 and a half tackles for loss, just a half a sack, but this is going to be a guy who's going to eat up blockers. You know, he's the guy that um, you know Jaquan Bailey who's now uh, injured, but you know, he was freeing it up for him for uh, Orion Vance who really you know got off to a great year rushing the quarterback are uh, at the linebacker position, you know, Mike Rose and of course Marcel Spears, one of my favorite linebackers in all of college football. Um he's the guy in the middle. He's kind of the the tone setter uh, right there in the middle of that line. A guy who's going to, you know, going to get nasty, do a lot of the dirty work. Not going to be a guy who's going to produce a ton of, ta- you know, a ton of tackles and a ton make a ton of plays, but somebody who is absolutely going to be uh, you know, Taking up a lot of space, absorbing blockers, stout at the point of attack, doesn't really get driven back, you know, a whole lot. Plays with a really good pad level. He's somebody who may you may not see until day number three coming off the board, but somebody who I think will end up playing in the league for a while, just because of the fact that you know you need to have some of those guys who are going to eat you know eat up blockers uh, to allow some of the linebackers and uh, and uh, some of our safety uh, hybrids, you know, making plays behind them. And then the last guy I'm gonna mention is Mustafa Johnson out of Colorado. 6'2, 290, the junior battled battling some injuries this year, but uh, burst onto the scene as a sophomore. 52 tackles, 15 and a half going for loss, seven and a half sacks. Um, you know, really just an explosive burst off the football. He uses his hands really well. He's six two, two ninety. Um, and you know, and that kind of fits almost that that Aaron Donald type mold. Um, you know, through seven games this year, uh 24 tackles, four tackles for loss, four sacks, um, had a fumble return for a touchdown. Look, you know, the injuries have kind of hurt his his uh you know, if you were going to talk draft stock for this season, I, I think he's somebody who you know looking at some of these other names, he's kind of the forgotten guy in this draft class. I kind of would like to see him come back for one more year if he can put together a an injury free senior season, I think we can be talking about Mustafa Johnson um, as somebody to you know really consider in the first two days. Um, I, I think the athleticism is going to be there I think he'll test really well um if he were to come out this season, but uh, you know, I, I think he'd probably end up being a, a day three pick just because of some of these guys uh, that I've mentioned prior. Uh, so those are some of the defensive tackles that I'm keeping an eye on for this draft. Um, if you're counting that was 17 defensive tackles. Not all of them you know are, are necessarily going to be entering the draft because we have quite a few juniors that we were talking about here, but uh, you know the average, I believe you know over the last few years it has been right around twenty. Um, I think we were, you know, had a high of twenty four over the last uh, last five years at least, and uh, sat there right around 21, 22 defensive tackles. So a lot of these guys, you know, if we're talking tackles, you know, these are going to be some of those guys that are going to be in consideration. You know, we've talked about some of the nose tackles uh, there in in, in the thirty four defense. Um, we, we've talked about some uh, three techniques as well in a 43. And then you know we've got some guys who are going to end up being five techniques when it's all said and done. Um, but I think we got a nice crop here. We only have, a, like I said, a couple of guys who are surefire first-rounders, a couple of guys who, based on their potential, may sneak into round number one. I think you've got a lot of guys who are going to be uh, day two and early day three picks. But, uh, you know, li- like I said, with Garrett – Gary, uh, Grady Jarrett, you know some of those guys that uh, were coming off the board in round number four. Uh, you know Geno Atkins. Uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing, you know. And, and sometimes when you have some of that depth, some of those guys that kind of fall because they may not meet, you know, check off all the boxes. This guy isn't going to be the, uh, you know, the, the strongest, or he's not the tallest, um, or he doesn't, you know, carry the most weight, um, you know, what, whatever it might be. Um, if you can play, you're going to find yourself on on the football field, and you know these. This is a good crop of, of defensive tackles, uh, not the the most explosive, I, I think that we've seen, but uh, definitely a group who you know I, I think can make some rosters and, and, and make some plays at the next level. So, making a transition to really what I saw last week. These are going to be the games that I got a chance to watch. Um, you know, and if, if this is the first time listening to my podcast I you know I, I try to watch you know at least 10 to 15 games and well over 100 games so far for the year um so some of the games that I got to watch let's see if we go through it um watch Toledo uh, Kent State 35 33 uh Brian kobach uh, running back for Toledo will be someone to keep an eye on um next season six foot 205. Uh, Pretty good burst there out of him. Uh, Let's see, Ball State and and Western Michigan, uh, the Broncos, 35-31 winners in that game. And look, Levante Bellamy is one of the running backs that nobody's talking about. Um, I think he's uh, sixth in the FBS in in yards and uh, 19 rushing touchdowns most in the FBS. Has pretty good speed um really a burst to kind of hit this crease he's he's a undersized he's 5'9 190 pounds, but a guy who is just really athletic um, giovanni ricci i look at him some of the blocks i just have block on the outside you know springing uh, keith mixon on an end around for 47 yard touchdown a block on the edge um it's a spring, another running back for for a first down block on the perimeter just to, to spring mix in on a screen. So he's 6'3, 240 pounds. He's undersized, but you know, Giovanni Ricci will probably end up getting drafted or you know, drafted later, possibly a um, an undrafted free agent, but somebody who I think can end up making an NFL roster as an H-back. Um, let's see, what else do we have? Miami of Ohio and Ohio. 24-21 uh, winners there for the Red Hawks. Um, Javon Hagen is somebody I think for Ohio has a chance, you know, had nine tackles in the game, two pass breakups, uh, takes really good angles to the football, very tight coverage on the receiver up the seam and able to knock the football away, runs the alley, really, you know, getting quickly to the ball, um, plays with a reckless abandon, you know, doesn't always um, wrap up, kind of goes in looking for the big hit. Um, so that's gonna get himself into trouble. And then Doug Costin, the defensive tackle, number 58, 6'2, 295, fires low off the ball. We you know, we didn't even talk about him. We were talking about defensive tackles, but I think he this is a guy who's gonna have a shot. He'll probably end up being a late-round pick, but um, you know, he he definitely uh, is very explosive, has a nice rip move, powerful punch at the point of attack to kind of jolt the the offensive lineman back, effort to chase the football. Um, you know, very physical, strong. Actually, shoved the right guard back into the quarterback and nearly grabbed the, the quarterback as he as he was doing so. Um, arm over off the ball to beat the center, getting into the backfield in a hurry, dropping the running back for a loss. So, Doug Costin, somebody who was very disruptive in this game. And granted, he is playing the Ohio Bobcats and not the Florida Gators, but uh, you know, somebody nevertheless is someone who I think we have to at least keep an eye on. Um, let's see, Florida, uh, no problem with Vanderbilt, beat them 56 nothing Um, you know, Michael p Pirine didn't have much of a game there. Four carries for 13 yards, did show off some hands, four receptions for 28 yards and a and a score. Uh, you know, Keyshawn Vaughn, um, really good lateral quickness in, in the game. I think that's one of the things that you see that jumps off the line, presses the line of scrimmage, lateral cut, able to go ahead and and uh, um, let's see, followed by another lateral cut really to get outside. So there's a lateral cut, you know, and then really uh, to hit the one hole and then saw that he actually had green grass out to, to the outside, another lateral cut, and was able to take off. Um, you know, I think there's – you know, he plays with a lot of emotion, actually slapped one of the offensive uh, – or defensive linemen uh, during the game. Uh, C.J. Henderson, uh six one two oh two, the junior corner, Um he he's been kind of getting a bad rap for for the lack of tackling. There was a run play to the outside. He read it, shot it, shot in off the edge. He able to drop him for a tackle for loss. Uh, does a really good job reading the quarterback eye, quarterbacks eyes as well. That's one of the things that you see. You know, cover two, and uh, you know ball was thrown poorly and really was thrown kind of behind him. Uh, and really kind of had to reach back. Um, ultimately, wasn't able to make the interception because the ball was thrown as poorly as it was by by Vandy's quarterback Deuce Wallace making his first start. Uh, but a guy that we're going to have to talk about next season as a as a bona fide you know, potential first round tight end is, is Kyle Pitts, 239 pounds. You know he, he lines up all over the all over the field. He splits out. He's in the slot. He's lined up as a traditional tight end. Um, but uh, somebody who is is a dynamic player when the ball's in his hands. He was a receiver. Um, now he's playing tight end. And, uh, you know, when you think about some of those guys, you think of guys like Darren Waller and uh, I think Kyle Pitts it fits that mold. So I, I think he's going to be somebody as we talk, you know, moving forward, someone that we're going to be definitely keeping an eye on. Uh, mentioned the Penn State game against Minnesota. Um, you know, Tyler Johnson really – really showed off some, some hands there, you know, uh, 32 straight games with a reception, uh, catch on a screen, made the first man miss in the backfield, cut to the outside, gets up the, uh, up, up the sideline. Uh, let's see. Catch up the sideline on a 38 yard touchdown, track the ball over his head to the, uh, to the outside, uh, had the cornerback beat. Um, let's see. That's ultimately where he extended the left arm, pinned the football to a shoulder pad, a very strong fighting with the cornerback after the catch. Um, excellent on a let's see on a back shoulder as well. Um, Tyler Johnson really redeemed himself. Uh, you know Rodney Smith is an underrated running back. You know he's third in in rushing in Minnesota history behind uh, Daryl Thompson and, and Lawrence Maroney. Um, but he, he's difficult to bring down, very physical between the tackles, has a little bit of a burst, uh, but not a guy who's going to be a home run threat. But he's somebody you know, 5'11", 210 pounds, bit with the injury bug a little bit, so you're going to have to watch that. Um, but somebody who I think can end up making an NFL roster. I've already talked about Antoine Winfield, and you know how I feel about him. He's a stud, and if he decides he's going to come out, NFL teams really have to take notice. Uh, Carter Coughlin, 6'4", 245, uh, defensive end. You know, could end up being an outside linebacker in a 34 scheme. 21 and a half career sacks. uh, Shows good speed to the boundary against the run. Um, Excellent effort. You know, shot, uh, let's see, really shot around the right tackle, dipping his inside shoulder. um, Then a rip move. Ultimately got to the quarterback. Um, Let's see, worked outside, uh, worked, worked the left side outside, left tackle outside, got back inside. Um, able to collapse the, the pocket on, on the quarterback as well. Um, somebody who you know is is a workhorse, a guy who's just going to continue to work, continue to try to get to the quarterback and make plays. Um, you know, 21 and a half sacks, no slouch, you know, getting after the quarterback. Not the most explosive athlete. He may end up falling because of that. But look, Blake Cashman's playing well for the Jets. You know, you can't start sleeping on these these Minnesota uh these Minnesota defenders. Uh, you know, We had uh, Devondre Campbell uh, come out recently as well. Um, you're you're going to start seeing some guys really start making some plays there um, at, at, uh, at Minnesota, so you're going to have to start getting used to it. Uh, USC, 31-26 winners against Arizona State. Um, USC, you know, Keegan Slovis had nearly 300 yards in the first quarter of this game, but uh, ASU fought back and nearly... Wound up winning the game. Eno Benjamin, um, you know, really showed you know the footwork, put a foot in the ground, gets out to the perimeter. You saw the the cutback ability, uh, his ability to put the foot his foot in the ground, make people miss. But he's somebody who works so hard after um, after contact and really trying to work for extra yards that. He's got a bit of a fumbling problem. You know, lost uh you know, he, he lost one of the two fumbles in this game and uh you know, that that's something that you just can't if you get that that uh, that reputation it's going to follow you for a while and that's really going to hurt his draft stock especially when we have, you know, this interesting draft class that we've already talked about uh you know, earlier uh with the running back class. You know, Michael Pittman, you know, was battling an ankle injury, but he just seemed to be separating um you know, even even with that, you know, out route, deep out route, you know, puts his foot in the ground, creates uh, creates some separation there. Um, you know, really a strong blocker on the perimeter as well. I thought that was one of the things that was impressive. He lowers his shoulder to finish his runs, running over the safety. Um, let's see, catches a slant over the middle. Let's see, broken tackle, excellent route on a post, a head fake. You know, really at the at the top of his route, gets a head fake in, um, outside, then back inside. Um, you know, making a play on the football there. Um, somebody who just, you know, it he just continues to make plays, continues to su- surprise. Uh, Brian uh, Brandon Ayuk uh, there for ASU. He's going to be, you know, he's following in the footsteps of Nikhil Harry. He's not going to be a first round pick, but uh, he's a definitely an explosive wide receiver. Six one, two hundred six pounds. Um, explosiveness as, as a kick returner, we absolutely saw that 97 yard kickoff return was caught at the three yard line, but, uh, definite, uh, acceleration, a guy who is a threat to, uh, to go the distance on any given play, a vertical route down the sideline, made some nice plays there, uh, for ASU and a losing effort. Um, talked about LSU and Alabama, um, you know, with, with Tua, you know, struggling there, uh, at times, you know, with this pick, at the end of round number one, threw it to Patrick Queen. Just didn't see the linebacker uh, there underneath. Queen kind of baited him into making the throw, and that's when Tua doesn't throw many interceptions. But when he does, he he just doesn't really pick up uh, the linebackers underneath. Um, you know, I thought Alex Leatherwood um, had a decent game, but he struggled with uh, the speed of Clavin uh, Chasen. Um, you know that was one of the things I thought was so uh, so impressive was you saw Chasen, uh getting his hands underneath the pad level. you saw him driving both uh, both Leatherwood and will uh, wills into the backfield. The hands he, he was slapping hands aside left and right. Um, you know, Chasen is really showing himself to be uh, a guy who's gonna be a first round pick. I think more and more the more you watch him play, the the more you like uh, you know, Devontae Smith. I mean, another two hundred yard performance. Um, when are we gonna start talking about Devontae Smith as, as one of the top wideouts in this cla- in this class? He has tremendous hands, uh, always able to to get open. Um, you know, he's not the burner that that Jerry Judy or Henry Ruggs are, but you know, really who is at this point. But I look at him, and I think in guys like Terry McLaurin, guys that that the NFL slept on, you know, and if Devontae Smith falls to the second or third round, you know, know, really if he falls all the way to round number three, I think round two is probably going to be where he should be taken. But if he falls to round three because of the depth of the class, uh, somebody's getting a steal, absolutely. Uh, Terrell Lewis, you know, didn't really get home in this game, but a guy who... You know, you can see the athleticism. You can see his his talent. He he's just a little, still a little raw, still learning the position. But somebody who I think can make a, a case to be one of the top pass rushers for for this year's draft. Um, a lot of guys in, in this game, you know, making plays. Jamar Chase, excellent chemistry with with Joe Burrow. Uh, Joe Burrow, the accuracy, the anticipation. He's throwing guys open. Uh, you know, the windows are very small, and he's still finding a way to, to make the play um you know started 11 of 11 for 188 yards and two touchdowns i mean just unreal what he was doing out there on the field um you know christian fulton um did a really good job kind of jamming uh, Devontae smith forcing him to the sideline not really allowing him to um, make a play on the football uh, jerry judy had a couple of really uh uncharacteristic drops there's one where he was literally in the end zone and the ball goes right through his hands. Um, You know, and Grant Delpit um, had a couple of missed tackles in in the game. He was battling an ankle injury. So some uncharacteristic play from some of our top uh, prospects for the draft. So really kind of an odd game of of sorts. Uh, Tua at the end of the game, as I mentioned earlier, limping off the field. And, you know, the anticipation, the... You know, he's got the the arm strength to make all the throws, but the anticipation, the ball placement, those are things that you see, you know, the slants, hitting guys, you know, throwing them open, you see that all the time. But it's going to be that durability that I think is going to scare teams a little bit, and I think that's why the gap between he and, and Justin Herbert really closing and I think Joe Burrow with Cincinnati sitting there at number one, Joe Burrow may end up being the number one overall pick. Uh, Kansas State, Texas. Texas ended up being Kansas State, 27-24. Sam Ellinger, you know, he, he's someone who I think is going to uh, get some hype uh, next season should he come back. Uh, Samuel Cosme, the left tackle, 6'7", 300-pound sophomore. I think he's a redshirt sophomore, so there's a chance he could come out. You see really good footwork from him. He's very light on his feet. Um, that's something that kind of jumps out. Um, Baylor... Uh, you know, beat TCU, had to go to overtime to, to do it. But uh, James Lynch, six tackles, uh, tackle for loss, pass breakup, a couple of uh, quarterback hurries. But, man, he's 6'4", 295. He can play in a, in a 34 defense as a as a five technique, but uh, uses his hands really well to get off, the, uh, off blocks. Um, you know, he, he's a little stiff in the hips, but does a decent job turning the corner. Excellent effort pursuing the football um you know especially from the backside. Um, you know, and I just I keep I'm looking here. I I have hands, 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 hands in in a lot of my notes, uh disengaging, able to rip through, um, able to ultimately flatten out and get to the quarterback. Um, I thought he was one of the more impressive guys, along with Bravian Roy that we've already talked about. Pro Wells is going to be a, a nice tight end prospect that we're going to be talking about next year. 6'4", 237 pounds, dropped an easy pass over his shoulder uh, up the seam, but then made a difficult diving catch later on in the game. And then Jeff Gladney there, the, the senior, one hundred eighty three pounds. Um, he's somebody who just blanketed uh, Denzel Mims for for much of the game. Um, you know, I, I thought that he does a really good job disrupting at the catch point. Even when he gets beaten, he's going to get back and looks to try to make a play on the football. Uh, Jalen Rager really a non-factor in the first half, and uh, Rager just one reception for eight yards. He's somebody who we already talked about. You know, questions with uh, catching the football in traffic. He's somebody that I, I worry about. Um, you know, in terms of his draft stock moving forward. Uh, and then, let's see, we've got two more games. We've got uh, Wisconsin and Iowa, uh, Jonathan Taylor having another big game. Um, he went 31 carries, 250 yards in that performance. Uh, he's basically solidified himself in the game as, as the number one running back in the draft class. Uh, Tristan Wirth showed excellent power in his hands, um, you know, moved pretty well laterally. Um, really easy knee bender takes good angles on his kick slide. I think that's one of the things that frustrates me sometimes is you'll see some of these, uh, offensive linemen and a lot of their, their kick slides, you know, there's not a whole lot of depth to them. And, uh, you know, guys, especially the speed rushers are able to beat them. Um, and, and, you know, Tristan Wirfs, I like the angle there. Um, really generates a lot of movement with, you know, the hands and, uh, the legs, uh, you know, just really the power in his hands, I have a note here in the running game, just buried Zach Bond, the the athletic edge rusher there for Wisconsin. And then AJ Epinesa had maybe his best game of the season. 6'6, 280 pounds, you know, really waiting for him to to have that burst, um, you know, in that breakout game. Um, using excellent hands, really heavy handed defensive end. Uh, he's not the most explosive guy in the world, but somebody who, you know, during this game actually showed some pretty quick hips coming off the ball, able to explode off the snap, getting those hips flipped in a hurry, able to turn the corner using a quick ha- uh, hand slap of the left tackle, and then able to flatten out and, and get to the quarterback. Um, he's somebody who. Do you see the athleticism? It's it's definitely there. You know, you've just been waiting for him to break out. And, uh, you know, we'll see how things go as as the season goes on. He's going to be taking on Minnesota this week. So a big game from AJ Epinesa, um, you know, will bode well for the Hawks. Uh The Hawkeyes, excuse me. And then finally, OU against Iowa State. Matt Campbell deciding to go for two after OU was up big over the Cyclones. Matt Campbell deciding to go for two, uh, 42-41. Was the final because they ultimately had a pick uh, thrown there in, in the the corner of the end zone? Parnell Motley taking it away from uh, Lamichael Petway. Here's the thing: C.D. Lamb, you know, fifth 100 yard game of the season, and uh, was just an absolute absolute beast. You know, he he was a guy who was you know cutting across the field, uh, making plays. You know, he was someone who also. Uh, had two blocks on a on a uh, a run play. Um, let's see. Uh, Kennedy Brooks went down the sideline for a touchdown, and, and ultimately what ended up happening was he, he made a block on on one defensive defensive back, and then was able to turn and pick up another DB that was flying to the outside, and uh, ultimately allowed Kennedy Brooks to get down the sideline for a touchdown. So for everything that we're talking about, you know, we had a 63 yard touchdown. Um, you know, a two-yard hitch, catches the ball, speed up the middle, uh, really cuts across the field, avoiding about four tacklers along the way, gets to the opposite sideline and ultimately takes off lowering his pads uh with a nice leg drive to finish the finish the run and get into the end zone. But for all those plays, the blocking is really what is impressive. You know, he's a very unselfish player, a guy who's going to do whatever he can to help his team out and uh you know that's worthy of a of a top 10 selection in my book. Um let's see, you know, Neville Gallimore, we talked about him. Notes say, you know, eating up blocks, bench presses 4 450 to 500 uses that to get off blocks absolutely. Um, you know, quick penetration through the A-gap. Let's see, burst, uh, shoots the hole, blowing up a run play. Time to jump on a on a second down. Um, let's see, with just under two minutes to play, ultimately the tip of football away. Um, stunt, came around, used some of the, the quickness off the ball, uh, came around to collapse the pocket. Um, so Neville Gallimore... You know, having another nice game there for for OU. You know, Kenneth Murray is somebody who's kind of disappeared though. 6'2", 234, A lot of people have talked about him as a potential first rounder. Um, I just don't see it. You know, he does fly around to the football. Gap des- uh, discipline is definitely a question. You know, the gap integrity. Um, you know, you don't always see that. And uh, you know, he plays inside out. You know, chases very well. Speed to the boundary. But, uh, you know, he's one of those guys to where I think, you know, middle linebacker may be a little too much to him. I think he's going to have to end up kicking outside uh, at, the, at the next level. And, uh, you know, I, I think the athleticism is definitely there, but, you know, he's somebody who, you know, I think disappears too much uh, for me to really say he's absolutely a first-round pick. Again, production versus potential and you know the production obviously last year was there 155 tackles but uh you know you don't want your 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 star linebacker to disappear especially when you're needing stops when the cyclones had all the momentum so those were the games that i got to watch um really enjoyed this, this past see uh this past week and uh hopefully week 12 uh won't disappoint us as, uh, at all uh, let's see. Week 12. What are our matchups? You know, what are we really going to be watching for um, as we finish out the season? Figaro is really wanting to say hi to everyone. Hopefully you got to hear that. Um, but let's see. Alabama. Uh, is Tua going to play against Mississippi State? Number five, uh, Crimson Tide. You know, that's going to be an early game. Indiana, a team that's really underrated. You know, they only have two losses on the season. They're taking on Penn State. Uh, they're in University Park, Happy Valley. Uh, number eleven Gators taking on Missouri in Columbia. Um, Wisconsin taking on Nebraska. Mississippi, um, Michigan State taking on Michigan in the Big House. Um, those are the early games to kind of keep an eye out for Navy. 23 ranked uh, midshipmen taking on Notre Dame. Um, Notre Dame is not expecting to have a sellout for I think the first time in I think 230 games. Um, Wake Forest. This is a sneaky good matchup. Wake Forest uh, with with Jamie uh, Newman and and uh, and Sage Surratt and company taking on Clemson um, in uh in, in Clemson. Uh Georgia and Auburn's gonna be the game of the day. That's an afternoon game. Uh the fourth ranked Bulldogs heading to Auburn for this game, playing in Vaught Hemingway Stadium. Uh, it, it, that's gonna be the interesting game. You know, you, you, Auburn, is there gonna be enough offensively um, you know, against Georgia who shut out Missouri uh last week. You know, I, I just don't see it happening. I think Georgia's too good defensively. Um I, I think Georgia is gonna struggle at times to uh, deal with um, Auburn's front, but really want to challenge, see what uh, Andrew Thomas, Solomon Kinley and company can do up front. You know, when we're talking about guys that, that uh, you know, especially Andrew Thomas being considered as as the number one offensive tackle, what's he going to be able to do against the likes of, of Marlon Davidson? So as we scroll through the rest of the games, uh, Minnesota at, at Iowa, Kinnick Stadium, uh, that's going to be an, an afternoon game as well. Um, let's see LSU going to Ole Miss. You know Joe Burrow uh, heading to Oxford, um, and uh, Coach O going to be in uh, in his old home, going back to to Ole Miss. Uh, OU against Baylor. Uh, number ten ranked Sooners taking on the undefeated Baylor Bears in Waco. That's going to be one of the games of the day as well. That's an evening game. Um, that'll be one to watch. You know, can Jalen Hurts and and C D Lamb and company, you know, Lincoln Riley talked about not you know taking the foot off uh, the accelerator against Iowa State. Really let them back into the game. Um, you know, can't do that against Baylor. You know, this is a very well coached team with Matt Rule at the helm. Um, underrated defense led by Lynch, uh, you know James Lynch and uh, and Bravion Roy up front. Um, you know offensively you've got a good quarterback and Charlie Brewer, uh, and, uh, and you've got uh, Denzel Mims on the outside. But this is an offensive line that struggles to protect the quarterback. I think they're 109th um, in terms of sacks. So you know Ronnie Perkins, the the sophomore defensive end, uh, Neville Gallimore. Uh, Kenneth Murray, those are guys that are going to have to put some pressure on the quarterback um, if the Sooners want to win that game. Uh, let's see, night game, South Carolina against Texas A&M in the SEC. Uh, we've got, let's see, Arizona taking on Oregon. So the, in Eugene, so you'll be able to watch Justin Herbert take on the Wildcats there. And then in the nightcap, it's a late game, 8 o'clock Pacific. Uh, in Berkeley, Cal Golden Bears taking on the USC Trojans. So that is kind of a wrap there on Week 12. We'll keep an eye on that schedule. Um, so those are the games to look forward to. Those will be games that we'll be talking about uh in episode fourteen next week, we'll also be talking about the edge rushers, looking at defensive ends and some of the linebackers, you know, those guys that'll be playing uh, thirty-four uh, outside linebackers, those edge rushers. Um, obviously, talking about Chase Young, we'll be talking about AJ Epenesa, but also Curtis Weaver, Yetur Grossmatos, Bradley and I. Um, how about a guy by the name of Alex Highsmith? You know, you, you think of of Marcus Davenport and, and UTSA. Uh, Alex Highsmith is going to be a pass rusher to watch coming out of Charlotte, and uh, you know so there'll be quite a few guys that we're going to be talking about. Um, so I, I'm excited to to really sit down and, and take a look at this pass rush group. Um, you know, after Chase Young, I think you know there are a lot of guys that have yet to really emerge as that number two pass rusher. Could it be Terrell Lewis? Uh, you know, like I said you know we're we're going to have a lot of guys to talk about. I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are as well. Enjoy this week of college football. We'll do this all go all over again next week. I'm looking forward to it. Um, enjoy your weekend everyone and uh until next one until next time for readyfordraft.com and the ready for the draft podcast. I am Greg shoots and I am out of here. Take care everyone.